0: This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus. Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast, our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. When a workplace accident occurs, conducting an investigation can help determine not only what occurred, but why it occurred so that you can work to prevent similar accidents in the future. Joining me today to discuss how to conduct an effective accident investigation is Peter Sturm. Peter is president and CEO of Sturm Consulting Incorporated. He is also co-author of the recently released third edition of the ASSP publication, Accident Investigation Techniques, best practices for examining workplace incidents. Peter, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thanks, Scott. Great being here. Really looking forward to our discussion today.
0: Me too. Glad to have you. So as I mentioned, you're, you're the uh, the co-author of Accident Investigation Techniques, best practices for examining workplace incidents. So I thought we could start by giving a little history and context around how incident investigation has evolved over time, you know, kind of how we got to where we are today and maybe giving a little overview of the uh, of the book.
1: Yeah, thanks, Scott. So the text has been around for the last 20 year and years, and uh, Jeff Oakley really did a phenomenal job in bringing together a lot of the information that was available back in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, and up to the 2000s, because the book was, was a second edition done. But a couple of things happened was is that we never really had an instant investigation standard uh, in the world. So back in 2013 in Canada, we started to develop a incident investigation standard that was released back in 2017. So the opportunity came up at the how do we marry the great work that Jeff had done and bringing it together with the you know the standard that we've developed and it's it's built as any standard ANSI standard ISO standards the the the, processes are the same. So the opportunity was to how do we bring that together into um, uh, a viable. An easy to use approach for anyone that's never done an investigation to somebody that's a very seasoned investigator and not getting the results and outcomes that they wanted. So what happened was we started to upgrade, uh, update the text and so there was so much good information coming together with it. So we started to look at different models, but we thought, you know what? We're gonna start to build it uh, in this textbook as to let's base it around stories stories are ways to learn and so when you look at incident investigations in the text what we did is we put case studies so that an individual with no experience or an individual that has uh, an event that they had that is really confounding them can go step by step through the book and build their incident investigation program to work for them both as an investigator but also to work as an effective investigation program for that company so that's kind of how we got into learning by storytelling. And what we also did was is that if you didn't have some of those experiences, we actually in the back of the text gave you real case examples um, that you could use that were events that happened with people's stories. And also what we did is we went and we looked at the major events, Bhopal back in the 1980s, Deepwater Horizon. And there's a whole list in the book so that you can go back and say, hey, look, it, I'm going to have a case study to go through this learning process for myself. And, and get to that point. So that's kind of the context that we went with. And I think it's going to be really, really successful. The feedback we're getting so far has been absolutely phenomenal.
0: Diving a little deeper into the process that's laid out in the book. the, the One of the, the first elements the, the book gets into is, you know, identifying what an accident is, and then what needs to happen when an accident occurs. So I wonder if we could kind of talk through what I, I the, the book calls the accident sequence kind of defining what an accident is and what needs to happen next?
1: Yeah, so that's that's a really good question. Many times the incident investigation, or the accident investigation starts with the phone call. We've just had an accident. Somebody's gotten hurt. Something's blown up, you know, and we go, hey, Sarah, you know, can you go out and do an incident investigation? And the issue that happens with that is, is that organizations then wonder why they're still failing and why they're still repeating the same events. And so when you look at, you know, the major events that have happened, um, there were investigations done, but the investigations hadn't identified the critical elements to have that long-term sustainability and prevent it from happening again. So when we started looking at the process, the one thing that we found is we talk about the words incident and accident. Well, accident has a connotation of finding fault. Because when we do look at an accident, it's something that maybe we couldn't have prevented. And and I'll be honest with you, I still to this day have a hard time finding an event where we could not, if we had done our homework before it, prevented that event from happening. So when you look at that, and so we started to look at the terminology in there. So, you know, is it an incident, is it an accident? And I really don't care which one you use. For me, the thing is that when I start to look at an incident, it actually focuses in on what that topic is it really gets to it I teach a lot of students and I have a lot of clients and dealing with it and they say you know I I can't do an investigation I, I don't know what to do and I say to them all the time do you ever have a problem or did you have a problem this morning that you had to address and and take in the data and the information that you wanted and get to a solution if you look at it that way that's what instant investigations are you have more complex organizations, but you know what? And so I have students that come to me, you know, I've never done it and say, you know what, how can I do? I, I, I don't even have anything to look at. I said, you know, you made a decision today to come to this class. You know, that decision could have been, I'll come to it or I'm not going to come to it. But you looked at the factors of what it was that you needed to have in place for you that day. And so when you go back to incident investigations, you really, really, you know, I think we've overcomplicated it. In the book, we have given you all the tools that are out there, you know, and, and we'll talk about some of them. But what which, which is the tool that's going to work for you? So that's kind of where we went uh, with it. But again, when you look at an accident, we always talk about this undesired event, and it produces unintended property damage and injury. We talk about incidents the same way. They're unintentional events, and they create personal harm and all that. So all it is, is that we had something happen that we didn't want to have happen. And so how am I going to now work through that process so that it doesn't happen again? I've talked to a lot of CEOs and companies and, you know, and they get frustrated with, you know, investigation programs and training and all that. They put all the money into it. And I say to them, well, maybe we're not doing it the right way. And let's just change the focus with it. And also trying to get them out of the, the mindset of, well, it's just common sense. You know, why did Mary put her hand into that machine? You know, she, she know, she should have known. And maybe she didn't know. So we need to kind of start to look at that and how that process works, and we actually have a five-step process that you can work through that will get you to the results. Because again, it's built on the foundations of what standards are are, are developed around the world.
0: That's a perfect segue into my next question. You talk about you know it starts with a phone call, and then as the, as the book discusses, the next step is organizing the investigation. So okay, so you you've 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 had an accident. You, you need to get, gather data, figure out what happened, do all these other things. So, you know, what, what's the next step in the, in the process as you work to organize that investigation and get everything that you need to be in place? No, so Scott, you're right on. But I think we need to go even one or two steps
1: before that, before the phone call. And so when you look at the process as to how we started to do that, it's like, it's like an emergency plan. You don't put in an emergency plan because you anticipate you're going to have an event happening. You put in an emergency plan and all the work before it so that you anticipate that hopefully it won't happen because you've identified the issues. But if it does, then you can respond and mitigate that situation. So what we started to look at was pre-investigation planning. And that's the work that you do to build your incident investigation program. And the reason for doing that is investing the time and the energy at the beginning of it to, you know, so that somebody can look at it and say, you know, the who, what, where, when, why, how, what are we going to do when that investigation happens? Who's going to go out to it? Are they competent? And that's one of the issues that that we built into this. We actually identified what the competencies are of an investigator. And for me, I look at it all the time because I go back and say, hey, you know what? I'm really missing on that communication piece. I need to build that better, or I'm maybe not doing well on that ability to interview. Um, I maybe don't have that, you know, I'm not negotiating well because part of the process and investigations is negotiating when you get to the end result. So that pre-planning phase happens way before you wouldn't build a house without pre-planning the house with the basement, you know, the, the, the walls, the ceiling. Now, you know and so when you look at it and you haven't done that before the contractor is going to start to build the roof on your site when you don't have a foundation in so how do you expect to build a you know how do you expect to build an investigation program if you don't have the basement in place so that's what you do you start with that foundation it's that planning phase it's that diagram of what you want it to look like it's that process of where do you want to go through your investigation so that when you build that house where you build that solution in your, in your workplace, you have what you wanted to get to and intended to get to. The next phase goes, okay, now, do we have the right resources? So have we, have we planned and do we have everything available? Do we have the time to do it? Do we have the, the right individuals to do with the competencies? Did we train them? So that when we call Sarah to do that investigations, she can pick that up on the way to do that incident investigation. So that starts that process. You got those two steps that are really critical. But a lot of companies just start at go and fill out this form. And you've missed that front end, okay, which is that planning, that planning phase. So so that's kind of the, the middle part that a lot of people do. My concern a lot of times is they go on the internet, they get a form to fill out and say, you know what, Johnny, fill out the form, or Sarah, fill out the form, and get it back to me, okay, and they do, and once they get that form to you, you know, somebody reviews it, yeah, you know, and you get the typical things, next time, be more careful, it was just common sense, or you know what, we need training, okay, doesn't say what kind, we're going to do training, and I've gone back to companies, and looked at their incident reports, and said to them, okay, you said you're going to do training, when, you know, John was operating that lift, piece of equipment and took your racking down. What kind of training did you do? Well, well, we sat down with them for 10 minutes. So I said, so John's going to do it again. I mean, that's the reality of it because John doesn't know any better. And then what we built into the next phase is the analysis. Do you spend the time to look at all that data that you have? And it could be a simple event as a slip and fall, but what were the factors around it? And from that analysis phase, then you go into the recommendation and the implementation phase that leads to your evaluation. So, and for me, the easiest way to know if your investigations are doing it well is, is it being repeated over and over again, the same type of event? Well, then there's something in our system that's not working and getting to that point. But it is it is a systematic approach, five easy steps to get there, and then it cycles back. So when you look at the the plan, do, check, act approach of standard setting, that's what you do. Did we plan? Did we do? Did we act? Did we do the analysis? Did we make the recommendations? And then at the end, you know, did we evaluate it and bring it back so that you start that loop? And it just becomes very systematic as to, to how you can address the
0: events in your workplace. So you found I love the the example of the form. You had like so many organizations, that you you see a lot of organizations just fill out the form and and leave it at that. They 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 check the box. Okay, we know what happened. We'll do better next time, and that's the extent of the investigation.
1: Mm-hmm. and that's and and so I mean I I've been in this for like forty years, and so and, and I'll be very frank with your listeners is that. I sat on a desk looking at these events coming across my desk, you know, and repetition of the same, same things happening in workplaces. I actually became so frustrated with it because, you know, when you you look at it and you say, we're not changing anything, you know, somebody that says, you know, gets a major shoulder or back injury and they've lost the use of that, that, that limb or that act to be productive, which is really, really important to them. And then all we do is we say, OK, well, you know, we'll, we'll get them treated and we'll get them back into the workplace. It doesn't work. So I've seen a lot of places. And, and one of the focuses that we really looked at with the standard was, this is not a regulator investigation. That's a different way of looking at things. It's not a police investigation if there's some type of, you know, uh, untoward stuff happening. This is about a workplace getting together with your workers and with your, 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 your business leaders and working together to come up with a solution. I, I know that, that if I go into any workplace, if I wanna find the best solution to have, to solve a problem, I ask the people to do the work because they do it every day. Like, and so, and, and they know what works in their workplace that, you know, and a lot of places we write these policies and these procedures and they're lengthy and all that. I mean, I've seen investigation programs that are like 20, 30 pages long. And I said, you know, when that event has happened, they're not going to read 30 pages. They shouldn't know what to do. And so when you look at that and and look at that process, I I just think that, you know, and one of the things that we didn't talk about the numbers, I mean, when you look at, you know, uh, ILO says, uh, you know, 6,000 people a day are dying around the world going to work. We know in the U.S. there's about 4,700 people a year. That's about 13 people every day. And in Canada, we're at about nine hundred to a thousand, anywhere from three to four people a day. If we had six thousand people dying in airplane crashes a day, there'd be an uproar. But nothing's ha- you know. So when you start to look at those numbers, and, and I've looked at systems, and I you know I've sat back and said you know we talk about a health and safety management system, investigations identify what's happening in your workplace, you know, and, and it's going to vary. So Scott, at your company, you know, it may be one thing with respect to, you know, understanding the processes in my workplaces, it could be the culture in the workplace. And how do you start to, to pull that out and, and get to the point of, of getting to those real good results? And I think investigations is, the, is the, the answer because you're addressing a problem that is happening in your workplace. And so this starts to help you go through the process. And I think when you're trying to sell to your senior management the effectiveness of your health and safety program, if you bring them a solution, you're bringing added value. If you're bringing a solution where, you know, the people aren't running, the the team members aren't running into your racking and it's not costing you $1,000 a year to to fix, they're bringing a solution. When you're bringing to a CEO saying that, you know what, we found a solution here that someone's not going to get killed. That's added value. And that's taking health and safety, which is perceived as a cost center, because we're always going back and saying, I need money for training. I need money for PPE. I need money for for building the program. I I need to take people off the production floor to go into training and saying to them, look, here's the problem. Here's the solution. And that's what finance people do. And we need to do the same. Finance people do a risk assessment. And that's all we're saying is we do a hazard and a risk assessment in a workplace and what's the cost savings and what's the cost going to be and working through that. So that's where I really see instant investigations, helping workplaces to get there. And one of the nice things that we did is, is that we didn't complicate it with a lot of lingo and jargon in there. And we really made it a learning experience for that person going through that journey. I think we're on a journey, all of us in health and safety, and this is just part of our journey. And for me, it's, it's an exciting one because- you're getting to good impact and good results in your workplace.
0: Moving on to, to the next phase in that, in that process, I'm glad you mentioned you know, the different types of investigations. And I'm sure there are a lot of different techniques for conducting that investigation, which, which the book identifies. So I wonder if we could, you know, talk a little more about some of the analytical techniques that safety professionals and others could utilize during uh, the course of the investigation.
1: Yeah, so we spent a lot of time in the book on the analysis section, it's actually probably one of the bigger ones. And what we did is we identified the different types of analysis tools that are out there. And, you know, and tried to give you the, the, give the reader, but also the person doing the investigation, what are the different approaches that you can use? And we didn't say one is better than another. So things like we looked at, you know, event and causal factor analysis, Uh, we looked at change analysis, we looked at using risk trees, Um, we looked at barrier analysis. So when you've got, you know, you put barriers up with hazards, and how do you do that type of analysis, we looked at the tree analysis, we looked at proprietary ones, something like the Apollo method, which is out there, a lot of people use top set. And, you know, we, we did mention them in the book and going through there. We got the Ishikawa, you know, fishbone. But then we have the very simple tool that a lot of people use, the five whys. You know, and so you can, you know, so the reader can then take their case study that they've been working on throughout the, the text and say, okay, I've got 10 different tools. Okay. And, and I look at it like anyone else. I'm an electrician. I have five or six different types of screwdrivers that I need to, to do the job. And I have to pick that right tool that's going to work for me. And the same thing here, when we looked at the analysis phase and we spent a lot of time talking and trying to change the thinking about getting away from evidence, which is the fault finding and getting to data. What is the data telling us? And that data could be, and so data is, you know, in the simple definition is any type of information that can help in getting to that solution. It could be interviews. It could be looking at your hazard and risk assessments. It could be looking at your patterns of your 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 you know workers' comp claims or your patterns of your investigations that happened in the past. It could be looking at your preventive maintenance. It was that piece of equipment being maintained. It looks at your quality initiatives. Did we miss it somewhere there? So you can start to take all of that information and start to bring it together. And then the most important part of data is being able to sort it. Some stuff you're going to say, based on what we have now, I don't need it right now, but I'm going to put it here at the side. Prioritize. I have 15 different types of factors, but you know what? These three are the really, really important ones. But I will get to number four and five. What you can do is you collate. You know, what you might say is this piece of data with an interview goes with this other piece of data that I got from the, the investigation. And somehow you start to put it together. And so a lot of people think, well, I need third-party software, whatever. I say, you can use a flip chart to do your analysis. You can use a spreadsheet in Excel. You can take something as simple as, you know, I've seen it. Uh, I had a colleague of mine work on the Deepwater Horizon, and they took a room and they put all of their data points around the room. And that they could see them, right? And you could do the same, you know, in in a workplace. You've got third-party software that can do that for you. And then what I say to people is document what you've done. Because what happens invariably in the analysis phase, you're going to get some new data. And so you get that new data. You don't want to do the whole process again. So you've got all of that stuff that's there. You put it together. You prioritize it. If new data comes in, it might move those three things that you said were priority. Take number two out and move that out and move it right into your into your process. So it starts to get you to think as an iterative. It almost becomes a living part of your organization. The nice piece about the analysis phase is, and I hear this all the time, you know, well, uh, you know, they never told us what happened, and I go, why not? There's no secret in there. You know, and you, you get to that point of everybody's worried about liability and, and you know, uh, is the regulator to get there. You're looking at the data. You're looking at where the system is a place. I'd really like to change the paradigm where I have an event happened in my workplace and our system missed a point. We didn't, you know, in the hazard analysis, we didn't identify that there was this particular issue and we didn't identify the risk. If we went to the regulator and said, you know what? Mea culpa, but this is what we found as the problem. And this is the solution we came up with. I don't think there's any judge when you're standing in front of them or any community leader that's going to say, wow, you know, you you were really at fault of that. He said, no, we found there was a break in our system. We fixed it. And this is the solution. And now we've made it so that it's not going to reoccur in in our, our workplace. Wow. That's a change. Because it's amazing how you know we talk about that resources part at the beginning. We didn't have the time or money to do the investigation the first time, but we always have the time and money to do it the second time. Why? It doesn't make sense. So for me, when I look at instant investigations is, is that when you do them really well, you build credibility in your workforce. You build credibility in your community. You get credibility with the regulator, because if They don't have to go through the prosecution phase. They're not going to do it. It's a lot easier for them to say, yeah, there was a problem. They fixed it. Here it is and move on. And you didn't spend the quarter million dollars in legal fees to get there, but you could have spent now that quarter million dollars on your overall health and safety management system. So you're taking the money away. That's not getting you any value from the organization and moving it back in as a value add. So if you could take a quarter million dollars that you would have spent on a prosecution and put it back into a company, what kind of a program could you have, you know, so it's just changing that paradigm. Yeah, so really, I I just find it exciting.
0: I de- definitely. You talked about resources there and thinking about the the techniques you outline in the book. I mean, whether it's like you say, Deepwater Horizon, or maybe you're just uh, a very small business, these are, you know, techniques that any organization could use regardless of the size or the resources they may have available.
1: Yeah. And so we sometimes overcomplicate things to make them sound, you know, and, and that's one of the things I find with incident investigations is I think we've overcomplicated the process, you know, and, and I really look to a lot of times to small business individuals that don't have a lot of money or don't have a lot of resources. And, you know, when they take these simple steps that we've outlined um, they get to the point of being able to say, Hey, we had a problem here, Ms. CEO, and we spent the time with it. And we, you know, we, we, we got our data. Here's the data that supports it. And we've, prioritize it and we've come up with a solution and a lot of times the solution isn't a lot of money you know what i mean a lot of times we're going to say well we're going to have to retrain everybody in how to use the forklift well maybe that's not the issue maybe the fact is is that we don't hire the right people or the people with the right competencies to operate a fork truck so maybe let's revisit that so that we get the right people doing the right job rather than trying to you know pigeonhole all these lift truck operators into this hole that we think they should be doing. So that changes the whole paradigm. It's To me, it's, you know, uh, we're dealing with people, you know, I, I health and safety to me, and, and we've done a lot of work with ASSP on, on sustainability and human capital. And when I look at instant investigations, you know, when you look at, you know, failures in the system and, you know, people being involved with it, you know, a machine going and breaking down and, you know, you fix it, you know, that's part of the cost of doing business. But when you have a machine that's not working well and having a loss where somebody gets injured in the process, we need to kind of take a different step and a different approach. So, you know, so it really it really works. Does it work 100 percent of the time? No. But even if it worked 90 percent of the time, that's way better than what we're looking at the numbers that we have today.
0: Talking about numbers. uh transitioning into the next section of the book, with preventing accidents, because that is, after all, you know, the, the point of all this, when something occurs, you do an effective investigation to prevent it from happening again. How can you, you talked about, you know, g- gathering data and using that data. How can you then, you know, you've, you've conducted your investigation, how can you then use that data to, you know, implement corrective actions to, you know, help ensure that those types of things don't happen again? So, and and that becomes part of that
1: whole piece that we talked about way back in number one of what the purpose of your investigations are. And, and you are going to get situations where for some CEOs it's going to be finding fault. So when you look at that data, so the the, the story that I use, and, and everybody's heard it with Paul O'Neill with Alcoa, you know, where he gets up and says, I'm going to measure the performance of my company based on the safety performance. And I looked at, the, and, you know, and, and he talks about people thinking he was crazy, like the investment community went to him and said, hey, the guy's nuts, you know, but I think he, he got on something there. So what he's, he basically said is, I take responsibility for it. I will do an investigation. And with that responsibility, I'm going to get to the safety performance that will exceed any other company in the world. And he got there. And so when I look at an individual that has that foresight and the, what drove him, if you if you read this, the story on that, was the fact that they did the investigation and he even says there, the you know, the young person that was killed was he may have been trained by his, the supervisors to take the shortcut and go across a barrier. And he says, we failed him. And he says, we killed him. And he says, you know, you, you know, and that those are words that don't get, you know, but that's that accountability piece. And he was able to demonstrate over 10 to 15 years that that approach of we've got a problem, we work it through with the information, we take that accountability, and we come up with a recommendation that it doesn't happen again. So when you look at that, so that's one example. I I have another example for you when you look at the Bhopal event and you look at the whole Responsible Care Initiative, which is in 70 countries around the world right now. And where industry said, we are going to work on our investigations and get to the outcomes that will work for our industry. Because if we don't do that, the regulator's gonna put in so many different rules that will not work in our industry because that's what they do. And we're not gonna get the outcomes and results in being able to prevent those events. So I do some work with the chemical companies here up in Canada with the CIEC. And we sit down around the table and we bring incident investigation reports of what happened at my plant. Because if I'm using a valve in my plant that is failing, and your plant uses that same valve, why wouldn't I tell you? Okay, that's, for, that's prevention for me. Because it's, it, and, and you know what, we don't use names. We don't talk about the company. We talk about what was the incident? What did you do about it? What was your analysis and now how do I share that with everybody else? And I think we need to get into more of that. I mean, we need to stop to think of the accountants about the costs, the lawyers, about we don't have to say anything and take all that noise away. And so I don't care what the person's name was. I don't care. You know? And so what I look at is I had an individual that went through an experience that was not very good in our workplace. We did our investigations, we did our analysis, and you know what? I learned a couple of things. And you know what? And sometimes it's the mea culpa, I should have done better. And we hear that all the time. But now I take that information that I have and I share it with everybody else. Because what I've learned is something that someone else may not have learned. And so that's where that prevention thing starts to snowball and go down. There is nothing in an incident investigation that should be prohibit someone from sharing that information with anyone else, especially in a workplace. I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted how many places where they'll do an incident investigation and they will not share the information with the workers. So how do you, how do you prevent it? It doesn't make sense. But you're listening to advice and I, and I understand the legal advice and I understand all that kind of stuff. But how do you look that you didn't, you had the, the one event, you didn't share it, you kept it close to you, and the next year you have the same event. How do you justify in saying, you can't say I didn't know, but you did have that opportunity to make it right. And and you gave that opportunity away. So, I mean, that's, and we're kind of going outside the scope of what it was, but we do talk about prevention in in the book. And that's what the focus has gotta be. What are the outcomes or what are the needs of that organization? What are the outcomes and needs of the, the, the investigator to get there? You know, your good people in your organization are usually involved in the health and safety program. We lose more people to operations and quality and all the sustainability, all those different areas, because we're good at what we do. We're good at we have a problem, we work through it and get the right information, and we come up with a solution and a solution that works. And if we didn't get it right, that's okay, because we're going to go back and take a look at it later down the road and say, hey, is it working? And if it is great, and what we might say is working great, but we can make it even better, or we can say it's not working. What do we need to change? But you've got all that information to change that. Okay. But you didn't do an investigation, you're back
0: to square one. And and I love your point about about sharing that information, whether in your organization or, or outside, that I feel like that's an, just a situation where, you know, if I do better, we all do better. If we, we can all work together to solve these common problems that we're all facing, you know, everybody's workplace is going to be safer if we do that.
1: Yeah. And so there's, there's a foundational principle out there called the license to operate. And it comes out of the sustainability world. And I really believe this is it. I own a company in a community. And, I, you know, I have a responsibility to the employees that they, they work safely and all that. I also have the responsibility that our plant isn't damaging the environment, that it isn't hurting other people in the community, and those types of things. So when you look at that license to operate, incident investigations, if you do it, you know, historically in a consistent manner, you build the trust of companies, you build the trust of communities, and you get to the point that if you do have a failure somewhere, they're going to give you a bit of slack. But if you've been secretive and non, non-open, non-transparent, okay, then the perception of you in that community is going to be, well, they're always hiding something. And so you, you're licensed to operate right in a scale of one to 10 is down at number one, versus if you're at number eight or nine with your incident investigations and sharing that information. Um, and we found that with responsible care, they invite people into their facilities. Take a look at what we're doing, because companies do a lot of good work, and we don't celebrate that good work that we do. And you could say we had, you know, and I've seen it. We had a fire and explosion here, but we learned so much from it, and it's not going to happen again. Wow, that 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 cachet, that that what you've earned from that community is absolutely amazing. So, incident investigations, I think, is is more than just you know that filling out of that form, but it kind of gets you into a a frame of reference. Uh, both internally and externally that builds a lot of trust and you know ability to build on that trust but also rely on it when things don't go well
0: absolutely any uh, final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with about uh, incident investigations as uh, as we wrap up
1: yeah you know I thank you for the opportunity and 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 you can see for me it's you know when you look at something like incident investigations there's a passion behind it um, i've seen Too many people, and we all have, you know, too many events and that uh, we hear about on a daily basis, and so the the text was really a uh, an opportunity to kind of sit back. There was over years worth of work in that to bring it together. Jeff did a phenomenal job on the on the original two uh, editions, and we kind of tried to take it to that next level. I'd love to get feedback from uh, any of the you know the the individuals who get a chance to. uh, you know, read it and say, hey, you know, you could have done, I mean, this is a work in progress as it's going on. Uh, We're going to be experimenting in in February, there's going to be with ASSP, we're going to have a two day course on, uh, you know, taking the course uh, virtual, which is I think is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I teach a course right now in instant investigations, and a lot of the principles that went into the book, um, I have students for four weeks, and uh, we never in the four weeks talk about filling out a form. But we do talk about things like, how do you do analysis, we talk about bias, and we didn't get a chance to touch on those topics. We do talk about, you know, stakeholder engagement internally and externally, we talk about due diligence, you know, how do you how do you demonstrate that due diligence in an organization? And we talk about the evaluation piece of, you know, plan, do check act, it's it's in the book. Also, these are just, you know, there's just so many things kind of bouncing all over the place. So yeah, I, I really welcome any feedback. I mean, we've got Great members of it, we had a great time in uh in Chicago, you know, launching uh the book but also the session. And uh, for me, it was uh, I had a couple of individuals come up to me at the end of the session and uh, you know, talk about the impact that an event had on them and their family members. And so, you kind of looked at and I and I, I was so so pleased that they were willing to share that with me, but I learned from it and I said, you know, thanks for sharing that. I, I didn't realize it, and so it's really. know that if you want to have a conversation like for me in a workplace talk about your incidents talk about you know the potential ones and so that people will be interested in that but what it actually shows is that you care you know that it's important to you and that goes a long way in in trying to build that culture especially that prevention culture and that you know a safe workplace and you know it impacts the business people will stay if they feel that the workplace is safe people people self-select when they don't you know feel that the workplace is safe so you know, I, I just believe in investigations is the, the way to get there. And uh, it's moved my frustration with people getting hurt to an optimism that we can get to zero one day. And that's a whole different conversation. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just great. It's just great. So I, I thank you for that opportunity. I, I could talk about this for days. So um, I'd welcome any feedback on it. You know, if we want to do this again, I'd love to do it. I just it's just something that I think really resonates with me. And I think it will resonate with uh, a lot of the listeners out there.
0: Completely agree. Yes. Uh, definitely encourage uh, our listeners out there to take a look at the book. Uh, the, uh, the title again is it's the uh, third edition of accident investigation techniques, best practices for examining workplace incidents. And uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Peter. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope uh, our listeners, so you do know, think about this as they, uh, Think about how they can improve uh, incident investigations in their workplaces. So uh, thank you again. Thanks a lot. Join us at Safety Focus, October 24th through the 28th in Columbia, Maryland and online. Learn more and register at safetyfocus.assp.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at assp.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP safety. We'll see you next time.